You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. things through Christ who strengthens because he becomes my strength. Oh, I'm upset and I'm hurt by circumstances. Don't get me wrong. We live in a fallen world and circumstances are horrible. Things happen that really touch us and hurt us. And sometimes we shed tears and we are mournful, yes, but deep down inside there's this hope. There's this strength and there's this faith that says, yes, I can carry on. As a believer, you aren't expected to be superhuman. You will experience hardship, and you'll feel sadness and pain. But as Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, through all of that, you can have a joy deep down because you know there is hope. This pain is only temporary, and you have hope for eternity in Christ. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 28 as he begins his message, The Hope of Israel, The Hope of the World. Acts 28, we are going to be looking at verses 17 through 31. So if you found your place in the book of Acts, let me read aloud if you want to follow along silently, please. Acts 28, beginning in verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything to which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. When they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. 
Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. I want to begin with a little story. This past Christmas, a gentleman by the name of Craig T. Kocher, who's the chaplain of the University of Richmond, wrote this in an article for the university newspaper. He says these things. Christian hope is fundamentally different from optimism. Christian hope, he says, locks its steely eyes on the devastation of the world around it and readily acknowledges that things may not get better. Christian hope does not bury his head in yuletide cheer and artificial lights. But like an advent wreath glowing stronger and brighter each week, this hope pushes its way into brokenness of the world, clearing a path in the wilderness so the true light might burst into darkness. Kucher then goes on to cite a story. The story is about a rabbi named Hugo Grin, who was sent to Auschwitz as a little boy. And in the midst of the concentration camp, in the midst of the death and the horror that all around him, many Jews held on to whatever shreds of their religious observances that they could. One cold winter evening, Hugo's father gathered the family in the barracks. It was the first night of Hanukkah, the Jewish Feast of Lights. The young child watched in horror as his father took the family's last pad of butter and made a makeshift candle using a string from his ragged clothes as the wick. Then he took a match and he lit the candle. Father, no, Hugo cried. The butter is our last bit of food. How will we survive? We can live for many days without food, the father said, but we cannot live a single minute without faith and hope. This is the fire of hope. Never let it go. Not here, not anywhere, unquote. The Apostle Paul had this fire of hope. The Apostle Paul was a man of great hope and a man of great faith, and he lived it, and he displayed it everywhere he went. He spoke about this hope and about his faith to every person he met. And this fire of hope, this fire of hope that was burning within him, kept him strong through every circumstance, every problem, every trial he faced. For Paul's hope, was the hope of Israel. Paul's hope was the hope of the entire world. Paul's hope is the Christian's hope. It isn't of our own works, or isn't our devotion to God, or it's not even the power of our own responsibility or our own spirituality. No, this hope, this faith, is none other than the abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ within us. Paul penned to the Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the hope that Paul dwelt on. This was Paul's hope, and he never lost sight of this hope. Through everything he experienced, he never lost hope. He never lost hope because he knew he served the God who did not renege on the promises that God would make. And this is where the apostle drew his strength. Remember, last week we spoke about those promises, the promises of God. But now Paul is in the city of Rome. God had fulfilled the one thing that he told him back in Acts 23, 11, that you will be a witness of me in Rome. Paul believed God, Paul hoped in God, and God had proved himself strong on Paul's behalf. We 
witness this great hope. We witness this great faith because it was displayed several months before when Paul stood on the deck of the doomed ship that night during the raging Nor'easter, and he declared God's promise. Remember? We read God's promise in Acts 27, beginning in verse 22. I urge you to take heart, for there will need no loss of life only on the ship. This was an odd thing for someone to say who didn't have a seaman's background. This was an odd thing for someone to say who wasn't even a fisherman, someone who didn't know anything about the seas, didn't know anything about sailing, didn't know anything about anything, but he did know. He did know who he served. He did know because he had a relationship with the living God, the God of hope, the God of the hope of Israel, and the God of the hope of the world. Then Paul goes on to display this great hope. He declares in Acts 27, 23, and 25, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as he told me. What hope? What faith? Can you imagine that time? Can you imagine standing on that ship being side to side, waves coming all over, the wind blowing? Come on, we've had nor'easters around here. You know what a nor'easter's like. Can you imagine what's going on? Everybody is so afraid. Everybody knows the ship is peril. It's foundering. They're having a hard time. And Paul, standing on the deck, said, don't worry about it. God's got it covered. God's got it under control. Wow, that's great hope. That's great faith. God's word proved strong that day because all 276 men aboard that ship got to safely on ground. Every one of them, just as God promised. We read last week that after three months, the group left the island of Malta and they headed toward Italy. They headed toward Italy, they landed in Sicily, and then they went to the port of Puteolis, which was about 180 miles from Rome. From there, they went on foot. And everywhere they went, Paul met brethren. Everywhere they went, Paul would speak of the hope that lies within him, the hope that dwells within him. The apostle Peter knew something of this hope, and he spoke about this hope in his first epistle. In 1 Peter 3, 15, he said, But sanctify the Lord in your heart, the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense of everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How can we be ready give a defense. Peter says, be ready in season and out. Be ready to give a defense or to give an account of the hope that is in you. How? Well, one way is to live our lives according to God's word. Living a life that says that at the very center of your life is Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ the Lord is at the very center of your life, and I trust God's word, and I'm going to live it to the fullest because I know that Christ is in me. And Christ is dwelling within me, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do that. That's one way we do that. Living a life that is Christ-centered. And this is what Peter said when he said, sanctify yourself to the Lord God. In other words, separate yourself to God. Separate yourself apart from the world and be with God, the one who loves you, the one who gave himself for you, the one who died on the Roman cross for you. Separate yourself to God. Unfortunately, we do allow other lords, small l, to invade the sanctuary of our heart. And sometimes these lords, small l, 
exercise dominion over us. Selfish desires, the opinions of others, worldly wisdom, the presence of circumstances, and many, many, many other things that come into our lives on a daily basis seem to all of a sudden become lords and command over us instead of the real capital L Lord being our command and being the center of our life. And what we do is we turn away from our simple allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and that hope and that faith in us dims. And we wonder why we struggle. We wonder why we're in peril. We wonder why things are happening and we can't control. We should make ourselves ready by knowing God's word and by keeping it in our heart. The psalmist knew this in Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, he said. And again in Psalm 119.42, he said, Shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me? For I trust in you. In other words, shall I give a testimony of what is in me, what's going on in me to those who ask? Yes. Because I'm trusting in you, God. So the kind of life that we live is an example. And this provokes a question from somebody else. Why are you so calm in the midst of this terrible circumstances? Why are you sitting there with that silly grin on your face when your world is crashing around you? Why aren't you having a freak fit? Why aren't you running around like a maniac? Because all your world is crashing in. Because I know Jesus Christ. And he abides in my heart. And my hope and my faith and my trust now is in him. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he becomes my strength. Oh, I'm upset and I'm hurt by the circumstances. Don't get me wrong. We live in a fallen world and circumstances are horrible. Things happen that really touch us and hurt us. And sometimes we shed tears and we are mournful, yes. But deep down inside, there's this hope. There's this strength and there's this faith that says, yes, I can carry on. Because I'm not carrying on, he's carrying me. And we can get through it. And people want to know, why is that hope in you? What's the difference? And you get to tell them. This was the way Paul lived his life. This is why Paul always lived his life. So now he's in Rome. But he's not in Rome as an emperor. He's not in Rome as a hero. He's not in Rome as the wonderful apostle, evangelist, teacher. No, he's in Rome in chains. He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's in Rome. But he's permitted to dwell by himself, and he's permitted to have visitors, but he also has his own soldier with him, and many, many, many people believe that he was constantly chained to that soldier constantly chained. Well, we know too well the Apostle Paul never was one to sit around. The Apostle Paul never was one to just kind of kick back and go, well, I'm here now. I think I'll wait a while. No. He gets right to business and he calls for the leaders of the Jews and he begins to make another defense of himself. Look at verses 17 through 20. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was nothing causing me to put to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. 
For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel. I am bound with this chain. Paul makes a preemptive strike. You know, it's like he fires one across the bow. He's trying to get them before they get him. He's trying to say, listen, guys, you've heard about me, I'm sure. You've heard about all the problems that was caused in Jerusalem. Uh, You know all the things that are happening. Well, I want to tell you something. I didn't come here to say anything against Israel. I love Israel. I'm an Israelite. I love Israel. I came just to clear my name. I came for that reason. Paul says this one very important thing. It's because the hope of Israel that I am bound in this chain. Here he's declaring quite simply, it's because the hope of Israel, the Messiah, and he believes that Messiah to be Jesus Christ. That's why he's chained. That's why he's changed. When he spoke of the resurrection, remember how crazy everybody went when he spoke of the resurrection? He's saying, it's because of Jesus Christ that I'm chained and I'm now this prisoner. What the leaders say next is pretty interesting if you look at it. Look at verse 21 and 22. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported of anything spoken evil of you. But we desire from you what you think concerning this sect which we know that is spoken against everywhere. <laughs> they claim to know nothing about Paul. But yet we read last week that when Paul was 45 miles away from the city, all the brethren started coming out to meet him. And then when he was another 20-some-odd miles, more people came out to meet him. So there's something going on here. It's really interesting that these people went out to meet him. In his commentary, R. Kent Hughes said this about this very statement. He said, this is undoubtedly an untrue statement. Christianity had been known among the Jewish community for many years, and there had been such division over it that the emperor Claudius banished all Jews from the city of Rome. The truth is, the Jews wanted as little to do with Paul and Christianity as possible, and they wanted Caesar to take care of it. Their true feelings came, though, when they called Christianity a sect. And if you look up the Greek word for sect, it's where we get our word heresy. There became the true meaning of their words. We want to hear about this heresy. Now, whether it's untrue or not, beside the point, because Paul gets exactly what he wants. Paul gets exactly what he desires, an audience with them. He gets a chance once more to give his apologia, his defense. He gets one more time to prove to these Roman Jews that Jesus is the hope of Israel, and this must have excited him to no end. As we discussed before, Paul loved the Jews. He loved his countrymen. He was willing to give up his salvation so that the countrymen, the Jews, would come in. It was dear to his heart. So they gather at Paul's place for a quick (laughs) one-on-one. The Bible study lasted all day. became an all-day Bible study. Look, Look, verses 23 and 24. So when they had pointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them of the concerning Jesus from both the law of the prophet Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Morning till evening. Paul testified of the kingdom of God. He showed them Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. This is exactly what the Lord told Paul he would do in Acts 23.11. You will testify of me. And Paul is doing the very same thing. I can't wait to hear the CD from that Bible study. I can't wait to hear what Paul had to say to these guys. 
Look at the words Luke uses. It's really cool when he describes this meeting. He said, Paul solemnly testified. Now, in some translations, it says he expounded. Paul declared to the Jews exactly who Jesus was, and he used the scriptures to prove it. And he took them to all the prophecies, all 300 and some odd prophecies about the Messiah, and he proved through the scriptures that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Luke says he persuaded them concerning Jesus. In other words, he argued with them, and he challenged them. He said, hey, look for yourselves. You know the scriptures. You're the leaders of Israel. You're the ones who read the scriptures every day. You look at the scriptures, and who do they talk about to you? Who do the scriptures say he is? Very similar to what the Ethiopian guy said. Who is he talking about? Paul declared to them that Jesus is the hope of Israel, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he used the Scriptures to prove it. And remember, the only Scriptures he had were the Old Testament. The only Scriptures he had were the Old Testament. So this all-day event, can you imagine? They came and they were there all day. What a study. Some were persuaded and some disbelieved. Isn't this always the way when you give the gospel? Always the way. And it's always going to happen when you declare the gospel to somebody. Somebody are going to believe. Some are not going to believe. Some won't be persuaded. Some will have a quickening of their hearts by the Holy Spirit, and they'll be persuaded concerning Jesus. But sadly, some will not believe, regardless of what they hear, regardless of the passion of the message and how it's presented. Regardless of the logic that you use, and regardless of the urging, even from the Holy Spirit, some people won't be budged from the position of non-belief. In fact, someone once said, the same fire that melts wax hardens clay. Did this stop Paul? (laughs) You don't know Paul very well. Paul had a willingness to fight. Paul knew the vision that the Lord had placed upon his heart. He knew his calling, and the spirit within him made him indomitable. That simply means he was unconquerable. He was emboldened, and it was impossible to be defeated. Why? Because Paul personally knew of whom he was testifying, and Paul knew that the hope dwelt within him. Paul was determined to make his case. He was determined to make his case. Have you ever seen anybody determined? I mean, have you ever seen anybody so determined to do something? Just watch the Olympic Games. They had that snowboarder who two weeks before in the X Games fell on one of the pipes and cracked his ribs. But yet he's out there determined to come down that mountain and try to get a medal in the Olympics. And they had an interview with him. He said, well, I'm kind of okay, but every time I came down from the jump and hit the landing, oh, I was in a lot of pain. He could see the pain in his eyes. And who could forget the little girl about this high, the gymnast, Years ago at the Summer Olympics, remember the gymnast? She did a vault and came down and broke her ankle. But they needed her. They needed her to win the gold medal. And her coach talked to her, and she got up there, and she ran down there all her might and did the flip and landed, and you could see the pain in her thing, and they won the gold medal. That's determination. That's determination. Now, imagine. Imagine you take that determination, and you add to it the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Ain't nothing going to stop you. When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.